One thing that I've learned that we at 3 by 3 think is core to how we view design is this concept called life worlds that is really stemming from sociology and anthropology. And it's this idea that your own world is self-evident depending on your direct and subjective experiences in everyday life, but that by engaging with each other, we can form new life worlds that are actually just shared systems of meaning. Hello and welcome. This is another edition of Design Future Live from AIGA, the Professional Association for Design. My name is Li Shon Huang. If this is your first time joining us on this show, I talk with designers and other creative leaders about how they've designed their careers and how they're thinking about the future. Today's very special guests are Megan Marini and Priyanka Jain, who are the co-founders and principals of 3x3, an inclusive and participatory innovation studio designing for systemic change. They're based in New York City and New Delhi. And over the past decade, they've been bringing communities, the public sector, and private entities together as allies to create social transformation and impact. Priyanka and Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. So let's just start out with defining some terms. What is a participatory innovation studio and what do you design? We bring together through our experiences stakeholders in designing services and products and plans. I would say that when different range of communities are not part of essential services and programs don't address some ground realities, the negative impact of the, on the communities is huge and the implication is huge and which emphasize the importance of bringing a community-centered design approach and inclusive design approach to a design practice. And that is what we do at 3 by 3 Got it. And your focus is on urban design and urban development, right? So could you give some examples of the kinds of projects or contexts that you're working in? Yeah, I think... Um, just building off of what Priyanka was saying, I think our entry point into design was from a place of urban development um, and urban and urban planning. Um, so we kind of got our legs uh, working pretty squarely in that space um, by helping bring um, community voices into a planning process. Um, so for example, if there's a community plan being developed, um, we would uh, help the organizations that were crafting those plans um, engage in conversations with their community stakeholders to um, help inform and articulate what what the plan would be. Um, so that is just where we kind of started. Um, but obviously, uh, it's evolved over time to uh, include different facets of um, public policy um, ranging from um, public services programs to, to, to policies as well. Yeah, we talked about this in a prep call, how at 3 by 3 you're redefining or broadening the scope of design. So what do you mean by that? And just to give the audience some context, uh, Megan, both you and Priyanka come from architecture backgrounds in terms of academic training. Priyanka also has a, a planning degree. So how has this definition of your design practice expanded? Traditionally, the industry we work in, be it architecture or other fields of design, we see, we've seen design as a product. And maybe more recently over the last decade, we've seen design as a service. 
But when we speak about redefining or broadening the scope of design is the fact that we don't see design just as an outcome, but as a process um, around decision-making. And it's important to note that this is premised in the worldview that transformative change requires intersectional approaches. And we are experimenting or we're experimenting with how design methodology, urban development, urban design could learn from each other. And that, that also what led to um, founding of our practice. And so the goal ultimately being by redefinition of design as a process equity, um, the, how do we help organizations that work in civic and social sectors in reshaping how decisions uh, are made and how civic engagement can be enhanced. And so tell us more about this story of three by three. Like, uh, you've been in business for about a decade or so. How did you get into this? How has three by three evolved with this practice and this redefinition or this broadening of design? It's definitely been a journey, um, to say the least. And I think it, um, I think we, Priyank and I really came together, um, to found three by three based off of our experiences, um, in, urban planning, architecture, and uh, also international development, uh, where we, through our experiences, saw stakeholders that were on the ground or maybe at the center of these efforts um, getting left out and left behind. And I think this is very true, whether they're recipients of an aid program or communities of a planning process. Um, And the implications of this uh, range pretty broadly from you know, communities not receiving or getting essential services due to the fact that a program doesn't address these on the ground realities or even worse, um, communities being uh, severely negatively affected by a public policy or plan um, such as widespread displacement. Um, Some of these might be unintentional, but some um, are by design as history shows us. And these communities might be at the center of a plan or a policy, but they really live at the margins of how decisions are actually made. And so I think this is where we saw an opportunity to apply design as a process to begin to shift power or transform how decision making happens by helping organizations with institutional power um, give those who are most affected by their decisions a stake in a say in what happens. And I think that's really the sort of impetus behind why we decided to found a, a, a practice. How did you two meet, by the way? We met at Columbia University. Both of us studied architecture, as you mentioned before. And um, I think the idea and what like brought us both together, as you keep mentioning again and again, was we felt uh, the voices of communities were being left out in whatever we practiced. And um, also, we didn't want to sit neatly, like just within architecture or within urban planning. And I, I think there was this desire to bring intersectional approaches and um, interdisciplinary design to the field of urban development. And I think that's where we both found it. And then things followed. <laughs> Megan, what's your take on this uh, founding story? Or do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, Priyank and I bonded in grad school. Um, we were studying urban planning at Columbia Graduate School of Architecture, um, Preservation and Planning. Um, and we were two of the few um, 
students that had architecture backgrounds as well. And so I think we really did connect on sort of the design approach and um, also a propensity for visual thinking and communication. Um, and so I think that's where we really started to incubate a lot of the ideas that were pretty core to um, what our practice has eventually become. Great. And I just wanted to issue a quick correction. I mentioned that you both had architecture backgrounds, but you also both have planning backgrounds. I just misread that in my notes earlier. So both Priyanka and Megan have uh, their master's in planning. Uh, but getting back to this topic of community-centered design or participatory design. Megan, you said something interesting in a previous conversation we had about design can be a disguise to preserve the status quo. And this relates to the power issue that you were talking about before. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, so this is definitely, it's a thorny one. I think that um, over time, we've definitely seen a growth in sort of the design for good space, uh, which is amazing. And we're so excited to be a part of that. I think at the same time, um, we've also seen design used as a way to maybe, maybe if you think about it, like design theater to add a facade to uh, pretty status quo decision-making practices and um, powered uh, dynamics. And so I think a really good example of this is like, and again, bringing my urban planning brain or lens to this, um, you know, we might hold a community meeting and uh, we'll frame it as a co-design session and we'll use uh, interactive facilitation techniques, but then it's um, the the kind of questions that we're grappling with is, should the bench be red or should it be blue? And I think going back or zooming out behind the scenes, it's what decisions are we actually um, allowing other stakeholders to make? Um, and what power, how are we sharing power in that process? And so I think that's the one thing that we've really tried to, to challenge through our work, because we do see um, the possibility of design being used to sort of add a veneer or a facade to something that is actually very status quo to um, how decisions and, and are actually made. And Pranko, feel free to add to that. No, definitely. I, I think like, uh, Megan, you've got it right. And uh, like as designers, we have power. And I think uh, it is very important to be conscious of that power, your, your own positionality, your own biases, your own assumptions that you bring. And also like we need to challenge the status quo if you're working in this field. So back to this topic of power, because you've used this word several times um, and the responsibility that designers have in our role as maybe facilitators, but also the people who are manifesting these specific de design decisions that are crafting people's spaces and experiences. It makes me think of politics, right, and group dynamics and um, and all of that. So where where does design end and where does politics begin or is it a, a spectrum? How do you think about that? I think it's absolutely a spectrum. Um, I think it's it's hard. Um, yeah, because, and I think the way that we define design, it's, as Priyanka mentioned, just um, how decisions are, are made or a, a process for making decisions and incorporating different perspectives into an ultimate kind of final product. I think our lens is how do you actually apply that to enhance civic engagement, right? So it gets into this like civic engagement space and territory which um, there's two sides to the equation, right? There's the um, kind of institutional power holders, but then there's also 
um, power in, in the collective and power in the numbers and power in um, citizens coming together and collectively um, asserting their collective bargaining power. And so um, I think our the way that we've uh, approached it and kind of our theory of change is to really focus on the institutional power holders and helping um, them learn how to connect with um, their stakeholders or stakeholders that might be affected by the decisions that they are making. Um, and, and, and it also entails, you know, trying to understand how to meet people where they are um, because it's not like, and if you build it, they will come kind of scenario. Like you can't just say like, we're going to hold a meeting and people are going to show up. It takes a lot of work to get to the people that are really at the heart of decisions. Totally. I've done community engagement events before. There was a time where it, it was raining and like exactly zero people from the community showed up despite promoting it through local partners and things like that. So it is, it's a challenging kind of environment. But back to your focus and, and helping people who are at that decision-making level, you've recently created a toolkit that you've launched, the Community-Centered Design Toolkit, uh, to help more people, whether they're designers or people working in planning or architecture, to think through some of these techniques. So can you tell us more about that toolkit and why that came about? Yeah, I, I can speak to this one. So I think... Um, I think what we've been trying to say is that we really believe that equitable processes lead to equitable and more just outcomes. And so we're really focused again on like process. And we see the toolkit as, well, it is an open source set of resources that really anybody can access to learn how to apply equity through centering uh, their community stakeholders in their practice and in their process. Um, and also work in modes that are more inclusive, collaborative, and hopefully transformational. Um, and the toolkit itself um, defines a set of core values and mindsets uh, mm -hmm. for approaching the work, but also frameworks to technically advance it. I think we see value in having kind of both sides to it. And I think it really stemmed from our desire to share what we've learned over nine years of practice, but then also in recognition of the limitations of our work and our role as external designers um, or consultants or facilitators. And so we wanted to create a set of resources to build competencies and, and shift culture actually in organizations that hold institutional power and help individuals within those institutions understand and harness their own agency in, in um, shifting how decisions are made. Um, and I think really this is the resource that I would have wanted 10 years ago when we were mm -hmm. beginning to embark on this on this journey. Well, I was just going to say that um, we're, we're, we are calling it the three by three um, community center design toolkit, just in recognition of all of the practices and resources that this work stands on. Um, and again, I, I think I mentioned earlier, but it is really a growing um, field that we see, um, you know, within the community led design space, design justice liberatory design, critical emancipatory design, and participatory design. Like there's so many um, practices and, and fields that this is situated within, but then also people that have been doing this work for so long, and especially people of color that um, might have not even known it, but or known how to give it a name, but it's just a way to start thinking and, and, and naming the, the practice. 
Yeah, back to that previous question about like the spectrum between design and politics. There's all of these other related practices and fields, whether it's community organizing um, or these other things where there's a lot of overlap and interaction can learn from each other there. So I know there's a whole toolkit and we'll encourage people to check out that toolkit. But do you have like a concrete tip or suggestion for design educators or people wanting to learn this stuff themselves on how they can make their practices more equitable or community centered? I think an important tip or like rather than a tip, an important consideration is that these are just tools. They are free to download and like would be released in fall and people can access them. But besides that, um, for us, the practice means that you're actively reflecting and practicing a set of values and mindsets. And what that means is that you're never going to be perfect or an expert and that you yourself are actively transforming uh, through this practice. And which is why, um, like, it's important that we, we, like, we take these values, these mindsets and these tools and, like, then also going back to the power question, like, how the designers have the power and, like, go back to our own positionality and biases and assumptions and keep, like, bringing them together in our practice to see how it works. And that, that's how we, we would suggest to use these frameworks that we want people to use. Yeah, on that topic of your own lived experience and positionality, do you have an example of something that you've learned in your design career that you might want to share with a younger self if you had a, a time machine? I think then it connects back to your your question about tips. I w- um, we would give um, somebody that is a design educator, but I, I think we do view this approach not necessarily as technical, but as uh, as Priyanka mentioned, an ongoing practice, which we think advances personal transformation in addition to community transformation through engagement in the practice itself. And I think one thing that I've learned that we at 3 by 3 think is core to how we view design is this concept called life worlds that is really stemming from sociology and anthropology. And it's this idea that your own world is self-evident depending on your direct and subjective experiences in everyday life. But that by engaging with each other, we can form new life worlds that are actually just shared systems of meaning. Um, And I think it just emphasizes the importance of creating space for community building within the practice itself and for reflection and and ongoing discussion and dialogue. And so for me, this is really um, I guess like the tip I would have given my younger self would have been um, start cultivating and investing in the community around you um, because this is how we um, grow ourselves or personally transform ourselves in addition to kind of the, the important social justice work that we're trying to do. Yeah, I think that's so beautifully said, right? That the craft of what we do as design isn't just in terms of the artifacts or the deliverables that we're making, but it's also crafting and cultivating community, whatever the the verb or the metaphor you want to use there, right? And that's just as much part of the practice as what happens narrowly defined in the studio space or in the, the consultancy space. Priyanka, do you have one for your younger self? I think it, it goes back to the fact that we'll never be an expert. I think the, the 
small advice I would give to my younger self is I don't need to read all the books. I don't need to be like a complete expert before going into uh, a project. Like you learn from the people you work with, uh, especially in the community-centered design work. And to have um, tolerance for ambiguity is something that I uh, imbibed as a value at 2x3 and like slowly learned my way through it. But uh, there are always, un- like, always circumstances that are uncertain. There's always um, a lot of voices that you uh, have to keep in mind when you're designing something. And like, it's only uh, tolerance to ambiguity which can, which can take you through uh, facilitating a process to So that, I think that, that is something that I've learned over the years, not necessarily new when I was young. Wonderful. So we'll wrap up with a lightning round of questions. Uh, the first one for the lightning round is, what is something inspiring you right now? We could start with Priyanka this time to mix things up a bit. I think it goes back to what Begin mentioned, that there is a community that has been built. Uh, people are talking to each other and it has to names. There's equity-centered community design, there's transformative research design, they're like different things, but it's 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 amazing to see people of color come together and uh, talk about values and practices that have been there for quite a bit of time. Nothing new, right? But like that becoming important right. and that these things are happening and a community is being built. That's really inspiring. Megan, yeah, I mean, for me, it's re- it's it's really the same i think we're we're really excited i think the past year we've um collectively gone through so much and i think um what we have seen is a a growth and interest in this kind of work and a growing conversation and a growing community and really just like an explosion of yeah of of interest in, in the work um from pretty unexpected actors as well um, in, in very surprising ways. And I think that really gives us a lot of hope and, um, yeah, and, and hope for the, the future and, and what might actually come out of this um, pretty tra- traumatic experience that we've all gone through. Yeah. So next question is, what is something that you've changed your mind about over the course of your career? So for example, I used to love hackathons and now I'm very skeptical. Well, I think it's, it's not, uh, it's more like internal for me. It's, it's more about consciously taking time out, uh, to bring reflection to my factors. Like it's so easy to lose yourself in day to day. I think that has changed over the years for me. Like I'm very conscious of making that time myself now. Megan? I think I had a lot of hope early on about the power of, of design at face value. And I, I think what um, I've seen over time is how design can be used, um, not necessarily always for good. And it's kind of, you know, this, the same through to hell's paved with good intentions. Um, and so I think that's something that's been an awakening for me over the, you know, the past like nine years that we've been working at three by three. Um, so for me, this is something I've definitely changed my mind about and also the impetus behind the toolkit. Wonderful. 
And so what is something, a piece of media created by somebody else? It could be a book, movie, show, podcast, whatever medium you want. What is something that you're currently watching, reading, or listening to that you want to recommend to our audiences? I've been reading a lot of books on trauma, so <laughs> very serious, but um, I particularly like My Grandmother's Hand, written by Reshma Medikam, and that um, goes deep into the complex effects of racism and white uh, privilege. And it really emphasizes body mindfulness and take the audience to different activities so that you can reflect on it. So that's my favorite. Thanks, Priyanka. What about you, Megan? Yeah, for me, um, I've been listening to this really great podcast series called How to Citizen with um, Baratun Thurstand. Um, and it really centers and focuses on how to wield collective power, but it brings in um, people that are advancing this in, in different ways. And it also helps you kind of reframe how you think about what being a citizen means. Um, and especially in a U.S. context, um, it's just an important conversation, I think, that uh, he's starting to to cultivate. That's awesome. That's been in my to listen queue for such a long time. I need to finally listen to that. So I appreciate the recommendation again. Kind of final question before our final call to action. Is there anything else that I didn't ask about that you wanted to tell our audience today? Um, not necessarily. I think you've captured it pretty well, but um, I would say we wish um, these conversations were happening when we had come straight out of the school and that we had resources, these resources that uh, are now being circulated around or like even the toolkit that we're releasing. Um, and I just hope that this conversation and everything that we're putting out there um, does, is helpful to the students who are now watching these designs. Wonderful. And Megan, do you have a final call to action for our audience where they can find you in the toolkit and stay in touch? Yeah, I think um, we are. Well, so the toolkit will be um, mostly self-serve and we're uh, releasing it um, over the fall online on our website. Um, so you can find it at 3x3.co. Um, but we're also doing um, a series of live online trainings. We actually have two upcoming this week, so Thursday and Friday, um, and a, a month-long series in, in August about uh, inclusive facilitator fundamentals. Um, but we'll be doing them every month, and we're planning to release a few more for the fall um, shortly. Um, but I think we're really just interested in building a community of practitioners that are interested in these approaches and um, are hoping to create space for reflection, discussion and, and personal growth. And so um, we invite people to get in touch in any way um, that they can. They can email us at info at 3x3.co. Um, we're hoping to start a new Slack channel, um, but um, that's still in the works as well. So check out our trainings. Uh, we have an event, right? Um, or uh, just go to our website at 3x2.co. Awesome. So Megan, Marini, Priyanka, Jane, co-founders and principals of 3x3, thanks again for joining us on the show today. Bye. Bye.